Hi, and welcome to Practically Healthy by Dr. Melina, where I take some of the best experts that I have found and get the most amazing information to help you translate that into what you should do, can do, and actually will do. And this morning, my guest, this is a first, so this is one of my first guests. This is my first guest that I don't personally know, but I'm sure we're going to become fast friends. Um, so I'm going to let her tell, she knows more about herself than I do, but Dr. Amy Shaw, I actually found her on Instagram. I've been kind of stalking her on Instagram because her content is really, really really great and, and poignant. And I, I, I think it's super cool. So I've been following you on Instagram, but Dr. Amy Shaw is a double board certified physician with training. Uh, she's undereducated, sorry, Cornell, <laughs> Columbia, Harvard. So welcome to the show, Practically Healthy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited about this conversation. I am so excited about this. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Let's jump right in. Just tell me a little bit more about your background. You, um, what, what are you actually trained in? Um, I am trained. So undergraduate, I went to the nutrition school at Cornell. So what happened is at, when I was like doing my nutrition major, I looked at the different career options. And at that point, there was very few um, after you know, graduating with a degree in nutrition, you either had to get your dietetics certification, or you had to work in a hospital. And I wanted to pursue more health based nutrition, you know, where I could help people. So I decided to go to med school. And then after medical school, I did internal medicine. That was what I did at the Beth Israel at um, the Harvard hospitals. And then I decided to do immunology and allergy, which is my fellowship training. And the reason why is my husband at, that I met in medical school decided to go into gastroenterology as a specialty. And I was interested in nutrition. So I thought, well, I want to go into gastroenterology, but we thought, well, it doesn't make sense that both of us be in the kind of the same field. And it, the immune system to me was so fascinating how you can um, change how your immune system functions, especially early in life. Um, and so I did um, an immunology fellowship that was at Columbia. And during my research year there, um, I really studied more about how hormones and food influence the immune system. And then I went out into practice. And guess what? As soon as I was out in practice, I was like, wait, I'm not doing anything like I had imagined in my head. There's no nutrition. There's no immunology. There was no... Um, guidance for healthy living. I literally was so busy all day, um, just prescribing medications or like giving treatments, which I loved, but I was like, this can't be what I worked all these years for. Like there's gotta be more. So that's how I started my journey because I was burned out within like months of starting practice. And I knew where I was headed and I wanted to contribute something different to the world. I love that. I mean, you and I, I can tell we're instant besties because I have the exact same story. I'm trained as an internist and within six months of practicing, I was like, what am I doing? I am not yeah. making a profound impact in people's lives. I'm making the pharmaceutical companies a lot of money, but yeah. on a daily basis, I, I I don't feel like I'm promoting wellness. So I, I, you know, after four years of med school, three years of residency, passing my boards, I left internal medicine after six months. My parents were so proud and, and <laughs> took this 
totally alternative journey. So, but that's, this show's not about me. It's about you. So, so tell me about your alternative journey. Cause I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating also, you know, coming at the immune system, obviously during this time, uh, yeah. from a hormonal standpoint and how food and hormones and also the, you know, in utero programming that we're learning more and more about, about how that happens. So, so Tell me your your alternate pathway because this is this is very exciting and fascinating to me. Yeah, so I was an immigrant from India. Uh, my parents uh, brought me here when I was five, and it was very very. There was a huge transition in our nutrition um, and the way we lived uh, because we lived pretty tra traditionally um, in India. And I saw my dad be diagnosed with type two diabetes pretty much within two years of moving to the US and all of his brothers, five brothers, all diagnosed wow. with type two diabetes. So I was very interested in nutrition. And so after I finished my entire journey of med school and residency and fellowship and research, and I was out in practice, and I started to feel like my health was failing. Because I had just had my second child. And I not only what did I feel like just kind of down, which, you know, often happens when you're dealing with two little um, children, but also um, I was having more anxiety. My mood was different. My hormones were all over the place. And I had never learned about this. Um, I checked all my blood testing um, with, you know, besides a few things like vitamin D being low, you know, here and there, there was really nothing significantly wrong on my physical. And then the more I talked to people, the more they told me they felt the same way, like they were feeling like low energy, um, their sleep was disturbed, their emotions and mood was affected, their gut health was really poor. So that's, I started to heal myself and started to um, share my journey. And that's literally how I started on this whole thing. Um, and I ended up writing for mind body green, because I was listening to a podcast and they said, Oh, anyone who's anyone in wellness writes for mind body green. This was like, you know, 10 years ago. And so I started sharing my journey, some things I learned just like creative outlet. And I thought once my kids are older or I retire, I will write a book. And that was the plan. Um, and luckily because of social media and, um, you know, I definitely wasn't ready to jump in for the first few years because I was going on my own journey. And then, um, yeah, so I had a horrible car accident. Oh, um, soon was my, which was my wake up call. And I said to myself, okay, I need to change my life. I need to change my food. I need to change how I live. Uh, and as I started to discover things that were working for me, I started to share them. So you started sharing them on Instagram. Is that what, is that where you started? Yeah. Well, first I started to share it in my blog posts. I didn't even have a social media or a website. And then they reached out to me from mind body green, like a year and a half into it. And they're like, Hey, people are asking how to contact you. All I have is your practice website or whatever. And so I looked up how to like make a website within five minutes, one of those YouTube tutorials. And there, that was my first um, foray. Then I started writing blogs and then social media. That's amazing. So when did the book come about? How, how recently? I, I love the title. I'm so <laughs> effing tired. A proven plan to beat burnout, boost your energy, and reclaim your life. It's brilliant. So when did that happen? That happened um, just about two years ago. I um, was talking to, I had thought about books so many times before, but nothing had 
like panned out. Actually, I got rejected um, from a book uh, uh, a book publisher just months before I met um, this publisher. And um, they said, what's the most common thing that people come to you about? Or what's, what do you feel like this is a big problem? And I said, every woman that I talk to, when they talk to them about wellness, the biggest complaint they have is feeling tired. Um, and the way we live right now is a recipe and fast track to fatigue, low mood, poor gut health, and disease. Um, and so that was the basis of the book. I love it. So, so let's expand on that a little bit because you have there's so many things I want to talk to you about. I hope we get to them in a half an hour, and if not, we're going to have you back because you've got too much wealth of information. So, um, let's should we talk about intermittent fasting first? Because you're sure. really that's your Instagram thing. That's what yes. I was drawn to because I think of all the health. I'm not even going to call it a fad because I think intermittent fasting has the most robust research and it has been done for thousands of years. So to say that it's a fad. So let, let, let's start with that because I think people are very interested in that. There's a lot of misconceptions, but there's a lot of really, uh, you know, scientific gravitas to this. So how, how did you get involved in that area? The reason I talk about intermittent fasting is that there's so much confusion about like what it is, what, what's the definition, how long should you go for? So very simply, I define it as intermittent fasting is taking a break from food from your last meal to your first meal of the next day. So dinner to breakfast, right? So the reason I wrote the book is because I didn't see people talking about it the way I have seen the literature out. Basically, you don't need to be fasting for 16, 17, 18 hours, especially for women. Women tend to do better with shorter fasting intervals Agreed. and overnight early intervals. Like think back to the um, times where we had no electricity or drive throughs microwaves, um, and Uber eats, we <laughs> would, uh, we would stop eating shortly after dinner, um, because the sun set and we didn't have any more access to food or light. And um, then we wouldn't eat until the next morning. We wouldn't just roll out of bed and have our granola bar, our banana. We would actually go forage for food or join our friends, family, and have a breakfast probably a little bit later in the morning. And so based on that, um, I call it kind of like a circadian rhythm fasting because our circadian rhythms run 80% of our genes. And if you live and eat with circadian rhythms, you can really improve your health. Um, and just to yeah. clarify for listeners, circadian rhythm is really the, the biological clock that, that yeah. functions in your head. So, and, and there is a tremendous amount of research ongoing about, you know, circadian rhythm and circadian fasting. So I love that. But just for those uh, who yeah. are, who do not have medical degrees from Cornell, Columbia, Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a 24 hour cycle that our bodies run on. We're just like plants. I mean, we need light, we need darkness, we need food, we need water. So circadian rhythms became very, very, very interesting to me. And then there's one study that really, really, I think, hit the nail on the head for me. So um, there's a researcher, Ruth Patterson, Dr. Ruth Patterson, uh, to breast cancer survivors. And she said, oh, I've read all these studies about intermittent fasting being so healthy. I want to try it on my breast cancer survivor population, but they're women and they're very frail and they're, um, they're not going to do anything really extreme. So I'm just going to do a really short overnight fast for them. Um, about 13 hours. Okay. And see if that makes any difference at all. 
So she had like 2,500 breast cancer survivors and she broke them into two groups and one just got conventional dietary advice and the other ones were asked to fast overnight. And 13 and a half hours was the average fasting length in the um, intervention group. When you followed up with those people, um, she found some stark results. There was almost a 40% reduction in breast cancer recurrence in the group that had fasted 13 and a half hours. And this was just, to me, this was like, wait, a free intervention, 13 and a half hours is doable and um, has this much impact on your health with very little side effects. I mean, 13 and a half hours, almost everyone can do that at some point, right? So that's what, why I started to talk about it is because of this, these studies that were coming out, even with just very modest overnight fasting. And that's kind of where I focus. Wow. That's, that's tremendous to me. So do they think that the reason for that, does it have to do with improvements in insulin sensitivity or increases in autophagy or, you know, which is kind of, uh, maybe you can explain that what, what, what the reason for it or potential reason, because we don't always know the reason for these things, but we know that it works. So, so the reason she thought of the studies because of the, um, data of lowered inflammation and lowered insulin levels. And we know that insulin, high insulin kind of drives cancer, especially in, um, certain cancers. And, um, we know that, uh, fasting seems to be especially good for cancer, um, for people who have a cancer because, cancer cells are very rapidly metabolizing all the time and they need constant infusion of sugar. Um, and when you kind of, you know, quote unquote, starve them, um, for a little while, they are more sensitive to die, um, to death than, or at least that's the proposed mechanism for that. And it's, uh, so it's insulin, it's inflammation and it's autophagy. Autophagy is basically, we always are doing it some some form of a cleanup in our cells. However, we never do a deep clean until we sense that nobody, you know, we're, we don't need to metabolize anymore. It's kind of like when your guests finally leave and they're gone for the night, that's when you actually start cleaning up for real. And that's autophagy. Actually, that's um, when I start drinking wine heavily, but okay. Yeah, that's when agree I, to disagree. Or, or, or that's when you go straight to bed. And exactly. And leave the mess for your husband to clean in the morning. Oops, sorry, Benji. (laughs) Yeah, so that's um, autophagy can be really, really strong. And that's why people tend to do longer fasts because the longer you fast, the stronger autophagy uh, autophagy signal gets. However, you still get it even with shorter fasting. But there are some other paths to autophagy because I have to admit, I'm, I'm, although I, your method of fasting, I think I could do, but even like the time restricted feeding where it's 10 to six, which is the optimal window in terms of the research. I have a hard time with that too, but I think yours is more gentle, but I do, there are other paths to that. For example, high intensity interval training, which is something that I personally love and would prefer doing, but maybe doing that in combination with a more gentle fast, like you recommend, but that, that is complimentary, correct? Yeah. One of the things I tell people, if you take nothing away from our conversation today, um, is to do a fasted morning workout. So one of the ways that, um, you can get into this 
um, you know, autophagy zone. And actually the zone that um, in New England Journal of Medicine, Dr. Mark Mattson put, um, did a whole commentary on intermittent fasting. And he said that the real key to intermittent fasting is getting your body to switch fuel sources. So we tend to always use sugar and carbohydrates for fuel. However, when we run out, we switch to fatty acids. Um, and when we switch those fatty acids and switch back, that turns on this metabolic switch and seems to be the magic behind intermittent fasting. So we know like uh, the way I described it is like when we exercise, we're getting um, like really a lot of benefits to our muscle, but then there's all these downstream benefits. Like it improves your longevity, improves your heart health, improves your brain health. That's the same thing with intermittent fasting when you turn on that metabolic switch. So you're not just getting the benefits of like the lowered calorie or whatever the time um, that you're not eating, you're getting all these longevity and downstream benefits. And that happens when you switch fuel sources. How do you switch fuel sources? Easiest thing you can do is fast overnight. And then in the morning, instead of going straight for your coffee and bagel, you go for a workout. Now, in the beginning, it's going to be very difficult. A lot of people have tried this when I wrote it in my book and they say, oh, it's so hard in the beginning. So just start with a quick walk or a few minutes of yoga or stretching and then start to go up from there. And now I can do a full high intensity workout or a run or a walk um, in the morning before I have my first meal. Okay, I'm going to try that. I promise. I think that's a really good tip because I, I just, yeah. I mean, the, what I what I like about this is, and I don't know how you feel about the ketogenic diet or all these different things, but for me, those just aren't as sustainable for the average person. And by the way, I don't think they're the healthiest long term. I think excess no. amounts of saturated fat and removing too many plants from your diet is really a recipe for long term health implications, which we haven't yet proven, but I think we will if anybody ever stays on those diets long enough. So I love the fact that this is a more healthful, balanced approach. So in terms of what people do eat, do you give them guidance on that? Yeah. So I, I, I tend to tell people that when you break your fast, you don't want to break it with really highly refined domino foods. So don't start with a bowl of chips at your favorite Mexican restaurant. You know, that's not a good way to break your fast because by the time you're brain even registers that you're eating and that you're somewhat full about 20 minutes into your meal, you have consumed like thousands of calories. As you know, when you go to a Mexican restaurant or, um, or the bread basket, at, um, at one of those restaurants. So I say, when you break your fast, you have to be careful to use something that has, um, use that opportunity actually, because the beginning of the day is the best time to get the best nutrition. And that's when you have your, um, most willpower, so I tend to break it with, so I do like a chai tea, uh, a tea that's like medicinal with all the um, spices in it, and then fruit and nuts or a smoothie with fruit and nuts and veggies. And um, for me, since I'm doing the circadian style fasting, that's around 1030 or so or 930 sometimes. So I'm not having a big meal. I'm just having my nuts, my berries, my chai, and then I have a full meal then at noon or lunchtime. Um, and that's when I consume my, um, probably my biggest meals is at like noon and then early dinner. And that's um, pretty much how I schedule it. And so I urge people to, you know, 
a lot of people have done inadvertent fasting, like when I was in residency and uh, I would skip meals by mistake. But then what I would do is I would make that mistake of going to the restaurant and ordering like a thousand calories worth of appetizers. And then by the time my brain even registered that I was starting to get full, I had a stomach ache. I was um, feeling like I had consumed probably a thousand calories before I even started my meal. And so that's why a lot of people fail or feel like they fail at intermittent fasting because it's like what you choose to break your fast with. Yeah, no, I think those are some excellent points. And I think one thing, one there are, as you say, there are actually many different types of intermittent fasting with the time-restricted feeding, which is more the 10 to 6 window. You're recommending something a little bit more gentle. And then there's things like OMAD, one meal a day, which I actually am not a fan of at all. Although I know a lot of men do that, but I feel like having one large meal at night, that's your entire day's calories, is kind of a recipe for disaster. And studies have shown that calories consumed in the evening are metabolized differently than those during the day. So I think what you're talking about in terms of intermittent fasting is really makes the most sense to me. And I'm, uh, you know, very interested in the in the health benefits beyond just weight loss, because at the end of the day, everybody wants to do this for weight loss. But the kind of cardio metabolic benefits in terms of diabetes and heart disease and stroke. And in addition, there's cancer benefits I wasn't aware of. So this adds a whole nother dimension to it that I love. And I also one question quick thing. I love that you talk about the chai tea with the spices because I've written two books on the longevity powers and healing powers of herbs and spices. And I know that's a huge component of Indian culture. So talk a little bit more about how you integrate that into your daily health plan, because I think that has huge benefits. I love that. Um, So spices were a huge part of my upbringing. And as soon as I got to nutrition school, I was like, these Ayurvedic things are so like, this is like thousand years old. This is so bad. I'm going to learn the real scientific way to eat. And so I completely rejected all of it. I, we would have turmeric and ginger and cardamom and um, pepper and all our food. As soon as I got to college, I was like, I'm done with this. I'm going to learn the real way. Right. So through um, college. And then when I got to medical school, I started to get interested in Eastern medicine again. And I did a summer where I learned about Ayurveda and um, acupuncture, Chinese energy medicine. And I realized that there was a whole world out there and it wasn't mutually exclusive from what I was learning. Um, And so basically when I wrote my book, I kind of stepped into um, the person that I wanted to be all these years, but I was kind of afraid. I think I was afraid of my background. I was afraid of how I was, I wanted to be, you know, considered an academic. I wanted to be a part of this whole medical world. And as soon as you started to talk about yoga or like spices, people kind of at that, at that point, literally looked at you like you had two heads, like I, I didn't belong there. And so I finally stepped into that again. And I said, listen, these when you look at the anti-inflammatory index, an index that has been verified by thousands of studies, turmeric, ginger, onions, I mean, these are things that have the highest rating in terms of anti-inflammatory process, like uh, benefits to your body. And they are simple to use and easy. Um, you combine them with certain things. Like I can't, couldn't believe that Ayurvedic sages 5,000 years ago knew that you should combine turmeric with um, 
uh, oil and black pepper to activate it. And this is things that we've verified by studies today, but they knew that because the curries always have black pepper and oil, like mixed with the turmeric and ginger and all the other spices. So I definitely um, think that finally I was able to kind of incorporate that all. And then chai is amazing because that was also created. It was created for the Kings um, court in uh, about 5,000 years ago, where those Ayurvedic sages said, okay, let's create something that's delicious, but also a healing tonic for the King. And so they combined cardamom and ginger, black pepper, and they had learned about tea from the Chinese and they put it together and we don't know when or how, but somehow milk and sugar got incorporated into it as um, because it made it delicious. And then, so what I advocate is, Hey, I love this medicinal version, but skip the sugar and skip the conventional cow's milk. Uh, for most of us, those two things are probably in excess in our diet and we want to take that out. So um, I actually uh, just recently made my own little concoction of um, coconut milk and a sugar-free version of like a ready-made um, chai that people can add to their coffee or they can add to their hot water. Um, and I just feel like spices are something that we can, we're just leaving on the table. Absolutely. It's literally so easy to add a dash of black pepper or little cloves um, and even simple things. Like if you're not into exotic spices, you could just do garlic and ginger in your food. I mean, it doesn't have to be um, like you have to go to some specialty store, but even something like cinnamon um, can be so great for your insulin levels and um, hormones. No, absolutely. I love it. You're, you're preaching to the choir here. I've been talking yeah, for 10 years it. about the benefit. I mean, and even things like, you know, rosemary, when you add it yeah. to meat and you're cooking at a high temperature, it decreases the formation of cancer causing compounds by up to 70%. So that's just sprinkling a little rosemary on your steak before you grill it. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's very exciting to be, and it's such a low hanging fruit. You're right. I yeah. mean, it's like, right. It there everybody has a cabinet filled with spices, most of which are probably collecting dust. So I hope yes. that they're inspired after listening to you uh, yeah. and me. Um, we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to talk about, you know, the gut, the, since you are an immunologist, uh, um, you know, tell us a little bit about, you talk a lot about, you know, the gut, immune system, hormones. This is something that I talk a lot about, but I want to hear, I want to hear what you have to say and kind of some practical strategies in our last five minutes or so for improving all of these things? Because I'm all about practical and you're already there yeah. with me with the spice stuff. So that's great. I mean, we could, I think we could talk for hours because I can already tell that we have so much in common. So I can't wait to continue this conversation. Um, so basically your gut is, uh, contains these, this army and this army, um, you know, you can, you cannot fight off, um, viruses or bacteria or even digest food if you didn't have this army and the army is your microbiome the microbiome bacteria that live there and help your body communicate with your brain with your immune system with your hormones and they're literally making decisions you cannot live without this army so one of the things i try to hammer home is like if you do nothing else build up that microbiome, that healthy gut bacteria. We focus so much on calories and macros and keto, and but we don't focus enough on how to grow and nourish these bacteria and they are dying. We have evidence that we have less of a microbiome. We have less bacteria 
and we have less species of bacteria than people who live in hunter-gatherer societies today or um, ancestors um, that uh, used to eat a much more robust diet. So something you can easily do is increase the fiber in your diet to feed these gut bacteria. These gut bacteria, they have personalities, they have tastes, they have needs, they need to survive and they need food. And we are starving them to death because 97% of Americans don't get enough fiber and fiber is the primary food for the gut bacteria. And interestingly enough, actually, I don't know if you're, but, but, you know, polyphenols are actually a prebiotic. Um, yeah. So spices and herbs and anything that bright colors in addition to fiber. I mean, you know, I think it's important to emphasize the, the prebiotic. So, so, yes. and that's what, that's what fiber is to support those healthy bacteria and the diversity. That's what we need for optimal health is the diversity too. But I think that's another plug for herbs and spices is that they're very powerful. Um, polyphenol prebiotics. So they really yeah. help. And again, it's an easy way. So people, what, what are your favorite ways to increase fiber? We've got two, we've got so much. I feel like I, I have know, to run. We have so many things to yeah. say. Um, I, okay. So increasing fiber is something that I work so hard on. And I try to teach a lot about in my book, I talk about prebiotics a lot because prebiotic fiber, I think is more important than probiotic fiber in many ways, uh, because you're feeding the gut bacteria that actually lives in your gut. So the best, easiest things to do is just increase the amount of vegetables. Like, I think that the biggest thing is when I was growing up, I thought fruits and vegetables were one category. And so I would just eat fruit all the time, which is fine, except that you're not getting any of the benefits of vegetables, which, you know, leafy greens is one category that I think is really important. So kale and spinach, and um, then there's cruciferous vegetables, which have amazing properties, but they also provide food for the gut. They are like broccoli, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. And then we have the brightly colored um, vegetables, like, you know, peppers and uh, tomatoes are, are fruit, but you know, that adding brightly colored foods to your diet, adding, um, oats, like really, really unrefined carbohydrates into your diet, for example, like beans and oats. And, um, there really are so many ways that, that you could be eating less refined foods. Your body remember loves, um, foods that have more fiber, like, um, maybe you want to eat an oatmeal with berries and nuts and, um, and cinnamon and other spices. It's literally uh, full of fiber and full of polyphenols, prebiotic, probiotic, and then garlic and ginger are great. Um, also for like, say a curry or a soup. So my favorite ways is literally to incorporate it into every single meal of my day in order to get the 50 grams that I aim for on a daily basis. Wow. That's impressive. I love all your practical tips too. And you got you and I definitely agree. I mean, I, sweet potatoes, yeah. oats, beans, these are the type of quinoa, these are the whole grains, you know, as much as possible. And I don't think people need to eat grains necessarily. They can, I think that's an optional thing. I think you can get plenty of fiber without it, but okay. We only have a minute left. So I know you have a skincare line. You've got the chai thing. Where can our listeners and viewers go to learn more about you? Amy MD wellness is the headquarters for my website. I'm on Instagram at fasting MD. And then I'm Amy Shaw MD on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. Okay. So if they go to your website, they can find, they can find all your other outlets and yes, what, everything's what, there. What's up? What's up real quick before we wrap up, what's up next for you? 
new book coming oh. out. Um, so it's done. Uh, but as you know, that process is takes forever. So late summer is when it's coming out. So hopefully we can do this again. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm very excited. Now I, I'll start working on my questions. There's so much more Yay. that we can talk about. So <laughs> well, we'll talk before then. Perfect. Course. Yes. Dr. Amy okay. Shaw, it's been a pleasure having you on. I knew this would be fun. I had no idea we'd have this much in common because it's yes. very unusual to meet this many like-minded MDs. But thank you Oh, also for listening, you've been listening to Practically Healthy by Dr. Melina. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did, and I'm looking forward to having Dr. Shaw back. Please subscribe, tell your friends, email me questions. This is for you to help you become practically healthy. Thanks and make it a great day.